This City Club of Idaho Falls candidate forum was recorded March 11th at the Benyon Building in Idaho Falls and features incumbent Idaho Attorney General Lawrence Wasden and challenger attorney and former U.S. Representative Raul Labrador. To moderate today's program, it's my pleasure to introduce to you Dr. David Adler. Dr. Adler is currently the president of the Alturas Institute. He's a PhD in political science and a founding member of the City Club of Idaho Falls, Dr. Adler. It, all, it always helps to move to your left. Maybe not today. So thank you very much, Greg. I appreciate that. Um, and uh, let me say how indebted we are to Greg Crockett for his fine stewardship here in leading the City Club. And let me add my thanks to all of you for joining us today to participate in one of America's finest political traditions. And that is of two candidates vying for high office in the state or the country who are willing to submit themselves to questions, to illuminate their differences, and to engage in very civil dialogue and disagreement. And certainly, America, beginning at least with the famous Lincoln-Douglas debates, has come to expect these kinds of programs preceding elections. And so I take my caps off to our two candidates today for agreeing to do just that. A quick word on the ground rules for today. Uh, each candidate will offer remarks um, for five minutes. Then the questions will be pitched to both candidates and they will have two minutes to respond. And the first responder will have one minute uh, to rebut. And then each candidate will have three minutes uh, for closing remarks. As moderator, it's my pleasure to be able to pitch the questions uh, to our two fine candidates. Our candidates, as Greg indicated, are familiar to everybody here in this room and certainly throughout the state of Idaho. And knowing that this sophisticated, well-informed audience has equipped itself with the backgrounds and biographies of our two candidates, I won't take too much of our time to rehearse all their many accomplishments and the accolades that have come their way and the awards that they've received. Suffice it to say that our incumbent, Lawrence Wasden, is Idaho's 32nd Attorney General. He was successful in winning his fifth term in 2018. He won his first term as Attorney General of Idaho in 2002. His public life has pretty much been committed to the service of prosecution and consumer protection. Uh, he joined the Office of Attorney General in 1989 as Deputy Attorney General, and he was assigned to the Idaho State Tax Commission. He rose through the ranks and became eventually Attorney General. Before that, he served as Deputy prosecutor for Canyon County and a prosecutor for Owyhee County. Uh, he is a graduate of Brigham Young University and a graduate of the University of Idaho Law School. He and his wife Tracy, who is here today, uh, have four children and 13 grandchildren, and I will welcome uh, Mr. Wasdom to the stage in just a moment. 
His challenger today is, again, no stranger to this audience, Raul Abador, a four-term member of the U.S. House of Representatives serving the first district from Boise. Before that, he served two terms in the Idaho House of Representatives from District 14, representing Star and Eagle. A lawyer, obviously, by trade, he's a registered lobbyist and has a long list of clients. His career reflects a long commitment to public service. He has served as chair of the Idaho Republican Party, and he also is a, a proud member, uh, founder indeed, of the Freedom Foundation in the House of Representatives, which is a very prominent uh, contingent in the U.S. House. And more recently, he was uh, elected to the, uh, to the Central Health Board uh, in Ada County, helping to make important decisions about health care policy in our state. I could go on and on about our two candidates, but let's not waste any time. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm City Club welcome to Lawrence Waston and to Raul Labrador. Gentlemen. Thank you again, gentlemen. Uh, by a predetermined coin flip, which was not easy, by the way, because who carries money anymore? But I am indebted to my colleague, Amy Lintz, who is vice president. She was able to find a quarter, a single quarter, in this room. And beyond that important duty, Amy has an even higher role today. She is our official timekeeper. Amy will keep the time. A yellow card, gentlemen, means that you have 30 seconds to go. A red card means you come screeching to a halt. Thank you very much. By a predetermined coin flip, as I say, uh, the introductory remarks begin with Mr. Wasden. Please. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Adler, and thank you for inviting me to be here with you today. I really appreciate it. My name is Lawrence Wasden. I am the Attorney General. And I ask for your vote in the March 17 primary election. Do you need to introduce again? Oh, excuse me, May, not March, May. Don't, don't vote on March 17. Um, my wife, Tracy, who is also my campaign manager. Um, this isn't a critical election. And the core of my campaign is the rule of law, meaning that we are all bound by the law, including the Attorney General. And what does that all mean? Well. My job as the Attorney General is to call balls and strikes fairly and squarely. That is, what does the Constitution say? What, does the, what do those statutes say? And that function as an advisor, when I give advice and render an opinion, my job is to say, this is what the law says. I don't get to make it up. Uh, some have said, well, that's what a, a, a judge does. Well, ultimately, that is what a judge does. But it's also what the Attorney General does as an attorney under the two responsibilities I have, one to give advice and two to represent in court. So it's critical that we read the Constitution and actually do what it says. We read the statute and do what it says. The duties of the Attorney General are actually outlined in law, in our Constitution and in our statute. It says the Attorney General represents the state and state officers and agencies and commissions and so forth but represents the state. I also represent the governor when the governor asks me to. I'm a, 
I am uh, a captive lawyer, meaning that the gov when the governor asks, I have to provide him legal services, that is, give him legal advice and represent him in court. That's the law. And because that's the law, I don't get to choose to represent other people. Uh, I don't get to choose other people. So, some say, well, you choose to represent the bureaucracy. And the answer is, you're darn right I do. I choose to represent the law. I choose to fulfill the law, and the law says, it makes the choice for me that I represent the bureaucracy. That's what the law is. That's what the office of the Attorney General is responsible for doing. And when the Attorney General decides to distance himself from the law, we then become unhinged from our own constitution. It's critical that the Attorney General fulfill that role to sustain the law. That's what you do when you stand on the State House steps and you take an oath. You take an oath to uphold the United States Constitution, to uphold the Idaho Constitution, and to perform your duties under the law. And the Constitution specifically says that the legislature can prescribe my duties. I have constitutional duties, but also those prescribed by law, which means that when the, stat when the legislature passes a statute and says, Attorney General, you have that duty, that's your duty. That is precisely what I have done throughout the entirety of my career. And that is, when the, if that's what the law says, that's what we do. If that's what the uh, contract embedded into a court order says with regarding INL, that's what I do. Exactly what the law requires of me. Thank you. Hello? Okay. Good afternoon, I'm Raul Labrador. I'm former congressman and former legislator and former chairman of the Republican Party and I'm running to be your next Attorney General. Over the next hour, I wanna lay out a vision for you of why Idaho needs a new Attorney General. But let me just introduce myself a little bit of my family and then give you some focus on what we're talking about. Uh, as, as David indicated, I was uh, one of the founding members, I just wanna correct you about two things, is the freedom caucus, not the Freedom Foundation. Um, and, and I was also, I always moved to the right, not to the left. So, <laughs> in fact, from the audience point of view, I am to your right. So, and that's usually where I stand on all the issues. But um, in Washington, D.C. and in the legislature, I always fought for the principles that our founding fathers believed in. I believe in less government, I believe in more accountability, and I believe in following the rule of law and following the Constitution. But today what you will see is two different visions of what the role of the Attorney General is. And I wanna share with you what that vision is, what, what I think is the correct vision for what the Attorney General should do. If you remember in the Declaration of Independence, it said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We all know those words, but it's the next words that should inform you what the role of the Attorney General should be in the state of Idaho. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Here's the big difference between the two candidates in this race. I believe that when you represent the governor, the, on the government as the attorney general, you do so to secure the rights, the, the privileges, and the individual freedoms of the people of Idaho. 
My opponent believes that his job is to represent and secure the rights of the bureaucracy of the state of Idaho. It's two totally different visions for the state of Idaho. And those two separate visions should inform you about what you want. Do you want an attorney general who understands that our nation was created to secure the rights of individuals, that our founding fathers went away from a government where the king was supreme and created a government where the people are supreme? I, that's what I believe in. I believe that we have a government where the people are supreme and the rights of the people of Idaho should be represented. Today I'm going to give you numerous examples of how this Attorney General has actually represented the bureaucracy against the people of Idaho, and I'm just going to start with one. We've been in a state of emergency in the state of Idaho for the last two years. The state of emergency powers that are granted to the Governor of Idaho say that a Governor can be in a state of emergency for 30 days and he can add an additional 30 days to that state of emergency. The Attorney General's office has indicated to the governor that 30 plus 30 is an indefinite number and that they can continue to be in a state of emergency indefinitely. We're almost at two years of that state of emergency. I believe that is the wrong interpretation. He says that he calls balls and strikes. I think that what he does is that he calls it whatever gives the government and the bureaucracy more power that's the way he interprets the law. We need a change in the state of Idaho. We've had an attorney general for 20 years who was also in the bureaucracy 10 years prior to that. We've had 30 years of defending the bureaucracy. I want to give you at least four, more, four years where I'm defending the people of Idaho. I'm standing up for the people of Idaho. Today I'll give you numerous other examples about that. That's why we need to ensure that the Attorney General understands what his role and his responsibility is vis-a-vis -vis the powers of the executive, the powers of the judiciary, and the powers of the legislative branch. That's what you want in an Attorney General. Not somebody who stands up here and tells you, yes, my job is to support the bureaucracy. That should not never be the job of the Attorney General. The job of the Attorney General is to fight for the individual rights of the people of Idaho. And I promise you that as your Attorney General, that's what I will do for the next four years. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Labrador. So, gentlemen, we begin with the questions. And the first question uh, will go to, to you, Mr. Labrador. <clears throat> as Attorney General, will you aggressively defend the state laws, even if you disagree with them, for reasons of unconstitutionality or unwisdom? Would I defend the state laws 100%? That should be the job of the Attorney General, is to make sure that you follow the law, that you understand the law, and that you defend the laws in the courts. And that's one of the problems that we have right now with this Attorney General. When, when the legislature comes to the Attorney General and asks him to give him advice on legal counsel, and I'll give you one, one example that happened just two weeks ago. The state of Idaho is trying to pass a pro-life bill, a, 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 a bill that is very similar to the Texas law that was recently passed. That Texas law was actually taken all the way to the Supreme Court and it was debated in the Supreme Court. Every legal scholar, conservative legal scholar in the United States has agreed that this law is constitutional and that that law will actually probably cause Roe versus Wade to either be narrowed 
or to be completely scrapped. I don't think it's going to be completely scrapped, but I think Ro the interpretation of Roe v. Wade is going to be narrowed quite considerably. Every conservative legal scholar agrees with that. This attorney general in his office said that that law was unconstitutional. Why is that a problem? Because now you have liberals like the ACLU and other groups that are quoting the attorney general of the state of Idaho and saying, you see, it's not just us who believe that these laws are unconstitutional. Even the Republican attorney general of the state of Idaho believes this law is unconstitutional. Every legal scholar understands that it's from the conservative side that that law is constitutional, but this office decided to, uh, to find it unconstitutional. I think you need an aggressive attorney general who understands the law, understands where the law is going, understands where, where jurisprudence is going on, on conservative principles, and interprets the law in a way that actually helps the legislator and the legislators uh, pass their, their legislation, not becomes a hindrance to them. Thank you. And Mr. Wasson, the same question to you. Would you please. read the question again, I please? certainly, yes, sir. Are, are you willing to aggressively defend the laws, even if you disagree with them, and consider them unconstitutional or unwise? Absolutely. In fact, I have done so, repeatedly. Uh, I would give advice to the legislature. They uh, sometimes follow that advice. Many times they do not. My obligation at that point is to defend their policy choice, which I do and do readily. and we are quite successful. However, my job at the stage at which that is a policy piece is to render an opinion based on the law, not what I hope the law to be, not what I predict the law is going to be, but what the law actually is. Is it in that box or is it not? And the answer is, if it's not, I have to have the courage to say no, it's not. And then I have to also litigate based upon what that is. That is the question concerning abortion. And that is, is it, what's the law today? Not can I predict what the court's gonna change the law to be at some point in the future. Thank you, you have one minute for rebuttal, Mr. Lebedev. Yeah, and this is a problem that we have. This is why the legislature is trying to take funding away from the Attorney General. That's why they're taking uh, away some of the power of the Attorney General because they don't trust them anymore. The people of Idaho don't trust them, the legislature doesn't trust them. And I'll give you a quick example. This, in the state of Texas, we have Ted Cruz, who was the Solicitor General of the state of, of Texas. Ted Cruz helped the legislature actually draft legislation about the Second Amendment that made it possible for him to defend it in the court. That, that legislation was, was debated, that legislation was litigated. Ted Cruz took it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, and it gave us the famous Heller decision that completely changed the Second Amendment because Ted Cruz didn't think that the job of a solicitor general or an attorney general was just to call balls and strikes. He thought, let me figure out how to draft the legislation so I can actually fight it and defend it in the courts. That's why over 80% of the cases in Idaho that are litigated were losing in the courts because we don't have a visionary in the Attorney General's office that is helping us uh, draft right, the right legislation. Thank you. Uh, this next question is directed to you, Mr. Wasden. <clears throat> As you know, on occasion, the Idaho legislature bypasses the Attorney General's office and hires independent counsel. In this very session, a bill would allow the Idaho Land Board to hire independent counsel which changes the department's relationship with the Attorney General's office. When is it appropriate for state agencies and state departments to hire independent counsel? 
Thank you. Um, first of all, we'll talk about the legislature uh, and whether I assist them or don't assist them with writing le legislation. We do that all the time, and it's just pure nonsense to say that I don't assist them improve the quality of their legislation. We do that all the time. We probably have handled uh, in the neighborhood of 200 bills uh, that we've helped legislators just this session. So that that's just pure nonsense. In terms of the question again was asking when is it appropriate for the uh, for the okay. independent agencies or legislature to hire independent counsel under the current law which we operate under mm -hmm. uh, uh, the agencies can ask me for the appointment of special prosecute or, or special uh, outside counsel and we readily grant that what the law says is if they are, are making it for their convenience they pay for it if it's at my convenience then I pay for it so that's how it happens, and, and there are cases where agencies want outside counsel, and they're entitled to that. The governor, the legislature, and the judiciary can um, ask for, hire their own attorneys outside my office, and there's no, no harm, no foul. But when they ask me for legal uh, advice or legal representation, I'm required by that law to represent them. And that means that I have to treat them just like your attorney treats you, keeping your confidences, and arguing your side of the case, whether I agree or disagree, is not relevant. Whether I, I like it or don't like it is not relevant. My job is to argue on behalf of my client to make the legal arguments that sustain the policy choices that they make. Thank you. And Mr. Labrador, same question to you. When, in your view, is it appropriate uh, for state departments and agencies to hire independent counsel and to bypass the AG's office? So the state statutes are actually pretty clear on when it's appropriate and it tells you that when there's a conflict or when you need some legal expertise that the Attorney General's office does not have. I think all those are appropriate moments to hire outside counsel. The problem that we're having, and I think the audience needs to understand, they're not doing it just when they have a conflict or, or when they're looking for legal expertise. They're doing it because they don't trust the Attorney General's office to give them the proper legal advice. Last year, the legislature spent over $3 million hiring outside attorneys because they didn't trust that they were gonna get good counsel from this Attorney General's office. Think about that. That's $3 million of your money that is being spent that unnecessarily because they don't trust this Attorney General's office. Now they're trying to take away the Attorney General's ability to give advice to the Department of Lands. Last year, they tried to completely defund the Attorney General's office. The reality is that all of you probably have hired attorneys. When you actually lose trust in your attorney, what do you do? You fire them. And that's what we need to do. We need to make sure that we fire the Attorney General of the State of Idaho because the people don't trust them, the legislature doesn't trust them, the agencies don't trust them, and I think it's time to just have fresh blood and new blood in that office. It's been 30 years of the same thinking, and I think it's time to have a change in that office. Mr. Wazen, a minute of rebuttal. Certainly, let's talk about trust. Are there people who trust me? You're darn right they are. The public trusts me, and my clients trust me. Uh, there Are there some folks in the legislature that don't like what I have to tell them? Yeah, they don't. They want me to, they think that I'm their cheerleader, that I should tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to know. And unfortunately, they want to follow the cheerleader rather than the law. And so there is, a, there is an issue. But the issue isn't to have me change and tell them a lie and tell them what they want to hear. It's to tell them the truth, the hard truth. And that's exactly what I will continue to do. Thank you very much. 
Back to you, Mr. Labrador. Let's ask this question. If the legislature does draft a bill that you find uh, to suffer several unconstitutional uh, sections, how do you address that, uh, given the fact that you want to represent the legislature? That, that's really easy. They, I, I keep hearing him say that somebody's going to lie to them or tell them what they hear. That's not what a good lawyer does. And, and, and this tells you it's the difference between a lawyer who's been in private practice and a lawyer who's been in government his whole life. When you have a client and they tell you that they want to do something, you ask them, what is your vision? What is it exactly that you're trying to accomplish? Once you ask them that question and they say, then you ask them the second question, how do you want to accomplish that vision or that mission? And if they tell you something that is illegal, your responsibility is to tell them that is illegal, but that's not where your responsibility ends. Your responsibility then moves on to say, you know what, the way you're trying to do it may be unconstitutional, or the way you're trying to do it may be illegal, but let me help you draft it in a way that gets you from A to B. And maybe getting from A to B requires you to do it a little bit differently. He keeps accusing people of wanting to be cheerleaders. The only cheerleader that I see in this race is the Attorney General who keeps cheerleading the governor every time he does something that is unconstitutional or outside of the statutes. I'm gonna give people the frank truth about what's happening in the state of Idaho. I'm gonna tell them what the Constitution says. But the difference, and again, going back to my opening statement, the difference is that he thinks his job is to defend the bureaucracy, and he always does, and he just said it, you just heard it, he keeps saying that his job is to tell the bureaucracy how to get what they want. That's not the job of the Attorney General. The job of the Attorney General is to tell the bureaucracy what the limitations of the Constitution and the statutes are. And that's gonna be my job as the Attorney General. It's my, gonna be my job with the legislature. It's explaining to them in a way that they can understand what their limitations are and the things that can be done. If they trust the Attorney General, they will follow his counsel. If they don't trust them like they don't trust them right now, they will not. Thank you. Uh, and back to you, Mr. Wazden. How do you address the legislature or an agency when you believe that something they're producing suffers from illegality or unconstitutionality? This is something that happens all the time. Um, <clears throat> that is, we give our client advice. Sometimes they will accept that. We work with our clients, including the legislature. The, the notion that somehow they don't trust me is is errant. Um, I have been in private practice, by the way. I have had to look across the table at my client and say, hope you packed your toothbrush because you're going to jail today. I've had that experience. Um, so it is to work with my client, which we do all the time. Uh, and it's just uh, errant to say that we don't do that. We help them prepare legislation. Uh, as I said, we've, we've handled 200 bills this year. Uh, we do have trust with our clients. There are some who don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear what the law is. The best thing you can do for them and the best way I can represent you is to tell them the things they don't want to know. Why? Because that improves the quality of the decision that gets made on your behalf. That's what I have done and what I will continue to do. Thank you. Uh, a minute of rebuttal back to you, uh, Mr. Labrador. It's just really funny to me that he keeps saying that I'm errant in what I'm saying. The legislature doesn't trust you. 
That's why they're taking your funding away from you. That's why they're taking responsibilities away from you. And that's why they want to give it to somebody else. That's why I have over 33 legislators that are openly endorsing me in this race. And I have more than that that are, that, that are supporting me that are not willing to come out public. We have many legislators that are endorsing us, and it's because they're looking for an attorney general that they can trust. They're looking for an attorney general they can work with. I've never said that you don't work with them. What I'm saying is that you don't work with them well, and that's why they're looking for new leadership, and that's what I'm gonna provide for the state of Idaho. Thank you. Gentlemen, we're gonna to turn to a subject of overreach. Much has been made of overreach by the federal government. And for example, in 1984, President Ronald Reagan, you'll recall, withheld federal highway funds from states unless they raised their drinking age. And that, that roused the anger of states' rights advocates. <laughs> and now, more recently, President Biden, as you know, has attempted to impose vaccine, vaccine mandates in various workplaces and on governmental agencies. Opponents, again, assert violations of state rights. So, Mr. Wasson, to you, what role should the Attorney General take in trying to deal with federal governmental overreach? Certainly, if we have a cause of action against the federal government concerning federal overreach, we file a lawsuit and challenge their actions. That's precisely what I have done. You mentioned vaccine mandates. Actually, the President issued two executive orders and one directive. Uh, one uh, executive order was regarding federal employees. The state of Idaho does not have a stand, does not have standing between the federal government and its employees. No state has filed an action in that regard. We filed an action on the uh, on the federal contractors mandate. We're continuing to litigate that. We filed a lawsuit on the OSHA mandate, which we took that all the way to the United States Supreme Court and won that case. We have filed an action on the CMS mandate, took that to the Supreme Court, and were not as successful but we joined with a variety of other states in, in pursuing that. So when there is a federal overreach and when we have the facts and the law that we can allege a violation, we do so. Thank you. Same question to you, Mr. Labrador. Uh, what should the Attorney General do and what would your, uh, your role be in fighting against federal governmental overreach when you perceive it? One of the reasons I'm running for Attorney General is because I think we need a more aggressive Attorney General when it comes to fighting executive overreach. In fact, uh, former uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo endorsed my campaign today because he understands that I will fight the executive overreach that has been happening in Washington, D.C. I'm going to do something that you should never do in a debate. I'm going to give him some credit. He did join the vaccine mandates, and I applaud him for that. I think that's fantastic. But there's so many other examples of times that he has not joined, and I'll give you just one. If you remember, the Attorney General of the United States said that he was going to investigate the parents who were protesting and going to the school boards. There's 13 attorneys general in the United States, Republican attorneys general, that have fought a lawsuit against the, the uh, Attorney General of the United States and the federal government. This Attorney General did not join that fight. I would have joined that fight. There's example after example. Of course he joined the vaccine mandate because that was an easy decision to make. It's the hard ones. That's why we need an Attorney General who understands that we need to be aggressive and we need to do whatever we can to fight the encroachment of the federal government. They're coming after the state of Idaho. 
we're surrounded by blue states. The state of Idaho is the last bastion of conservatism, the last bastion of freedom in this area. They're coming for us, and you need an attorney general in that office who understands that. Mr. Watson, a minute of rebuttal. Thank you very much. There are a number of persons who are attorneys general in states in this country who served formerly in Congress. They view the office of the attorney general as the opportunity to do in state government what they didn't do in Congress. Congress is the entity that controls what the federal government does. It's not the state attorney general. If the state attorney general has a viable cause of action, then we bring it and we do that. But because the Federal Department of Justice wants to investigate parents, I think that's wrong. But there's no state lawsuit that lies there. There is Congress who should say, wait a minute, you don't have the ability to do that. But Congress doesn't do that. And that's a problem that needs to be fixed on the national level. But we don't then transpose and say the Attorney General now becomes Congress. That's not how our Constitution works. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Labrador, the question to you. Let's, gentlemen, consider for a moment the issue of state governmental overreach. As you mm -hmm. both know, a Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday just advanced a bill that would impose a ban on employers and businesses uh, to deny them the opportunity to require their employees uh, to receive a vaccine. In your view, A, is that state overreach interfering with the discretionary authority of employees to regulate their own workplace, and B, if you consider that overreach, what, would, what action would you take? What would you tell that committee? So I, I would have to look at the statute to give you a, a, a better answer, but the reality is that the state can regulate businesses and can tell businesses, especially when they're acting as actors of the state. So you have to look at what decisions are being made by these businesses. You have to be very careful at the state level uh, to try to regulate businesses, but, but there is some, some action that the state can do. We need to, I don't know the statute, so if, for me to give you exactly what I would do, I would have to read the statute, read the, the law. But the state should always be careful in regulating businesses but also, most important, the state should be protecting the individual rights of Idaho citizens. And this is what I've told state legislators. Whenever you do any legislation about vaccine mandates, I would draft it in a way that protects the individual rights of Idaho citizens versus telling businesses exactly what they can do. And I think you can do it in, in a simple way. And we have done it before. We have a bunch of laws in the state of Idaho that protect the conscience rights of doctors who don't want to perform abortions. They protect the conscience rights of nurses that don't want to participate in cer certain procedures. So there is a proper and right way to protect the rights of individuals and prevent businesses from discriminating against these people that, that uh, have conscience or moral objections to things. Thank you very much. Mm. Same question to you, Mr. Watson. Uh, what is this, is this bill an example of state overreach in the sense that the state is interfering with the authority of an employer or business to impose a vaccine, vaccine mandate uh, if the business chooses? And what would you say to the Senate Judiciary Committee? 
if you think it is overreach. There are two elements here. One is what is the law, and two, what is the policy? What is the law? Under the 10th Amendment to the United States Constitution, one of the powers reserved to the states is called the police power. The police power is the power to regulate the health, safety, welfare, and morals of the people. This will be an exercise of that police power by the legislature. It is in their hands. So you ask the question, is this state overreach? That's not a question that the Attorney General should answer. That's a question that the legislature should answer because they're the policy-making body. And for me to interpose, my personal view is actually usurping the authority of the legislature and, and in the same sense with the governor. So my job under limited government is to stay within the confines of what the law says and not step outside those, those lines. As a consequence, I wouldn't tell the legislature whether it's good policy or bad policy. I would allow them to make their choice and then I would defend the choice that they made. Thank you. Uh, a minute of rebuttal, Mr. Laboratory. But I didn't think your question was talking about uh, usurping the, the powers of the legislature, just whether state, you know, there was state overreach. But it's interesting, uh, you know, in one of his previous answers, he forgets that there's dual sovereignty in, in the United States. The states have sovereignty, and so does the United States. There's nothing wrong with the state government fighting the federal government whenever they're trying to overreach uh, against the state. So to say that you're not gonna sue the federal government in the instances where they're overreaching because we have, because the state is, uh, doesn't tell the federal government what to do and it's the job of a legislator, I just don't even understand that line of reasoning. I think uh, the job of the Attorney General is to make sure that whenever the federal government or the state executive offices are encroaching on the rights of Idaho citizens and individuals that we stand up for the people of Idaho. Thank you. So I'm going to ask a follow-up question first to you, Mr. Wasden. In this case where the state might uh, ban employers from providing, uh, from ordering a vaccine mandate, uh, is that an example of the, of the state? Uh, if you're Attorney General, is that an example of your protecting the government's authority, or would that be an example of your protecting the individual rights of employers in this clash? In this clash, the clash is between the exercise of legislative power and its, uh, it, its police power and the, its regulated regulation of the people. The Attorney General doesn't have a role there, except that under the law, it says, when the legislature passes a statute, I am obligated to defend that choice. Whether I agree or disagree is not relevant. That I have an obligation to make the legal arguments on behalf of that policy choice made by the legislative body and embodied into law. I disagree with them all the time. But as a matter of law, my job is to defend that policy choice in the court and to make the legal arguments on their behalf. That's what the law says. I don't get to choose something else. Thank you. Mr. Labrador, back to you. When you want to defend uh, the statute, uh, but you are forced also to decide if you want to enforce individual rights, which would include employer rights, how do you resolve this clash? Well, the question, I actually think uh, what the Attorney General said was accurate. The, the, the policy itself is not the duty or the job of the Attorney General to get in the middle of that. The duty of the Attorney General is to work with the legislature. Again, you ask the question, what is your mission? What is, the, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? 
and I'm going to help you do it in the way that the Constitution and the statutes of Idaho allow you to do it. You shouldn't get involved in the policy arguments between the legislature and private employers. The, the issue is whether what they're trying to accomplish is legal or not, and can it be done in a legal way, and in a way that does not encroach on the rights of Idaho citizens. Thank you. A minute of rebuttal, if you like. That's exactly what I've been talking about from the very first breath I took and started speaking to you. You call it fair and square based on the law. You do what your job is as Attorney General. The law says I am to represent the state and the agencies of state government. That's precisely what I have done and what I will continue to do. Thank you. Thank you very much. This next question goes to you, Mr. Labrador. You'll recall in the wake of the 2020 presidential election that Ken Paxson, the Attorney General of mm -hmm. Texas, joined by a dozen states, uh, took a case to the Supreme Court asking the court to throw out the votes in four states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Georgia, states that Donald Trump lost. The Supreme Court ruled against Mr. Paxson. The Attorney General of Idaho, Lawrence Watson, refused to join that suit. In your view, should he have joined that suit? Why or why not? He should have joined the suit, and he made a mistake, and he keeps misinterpreting why that lawsuit was dismissed. So we'll talk about that a little bit. If you remember, in the U.S. Constitution, it says that only one body can determine the election laws of each state. That body is the state legislature. Only the state legislature of the state of Idaho can determine what the laws are when it comes to election laws. The attorney general can't change them, the governor can't change them, the courts can't change them. In the four states that were challenged, it was not the legislature that changed the laws. It was either the governor, the courts, or the Secretary of State of those states that changed the law. When they did that, your franchise was violated. Your right to vote was violated. And when they sued, when Texas sued those four states in the Supreme Court, they sued because they were trying to protect the franchise of the voters of their state. When he chose not to join that lawsuit, he made a mistake because the people of Idaho's franchise had been violated. It didn't matter what the result was, but only state legislatures can actually determine what the laws of the states. One of the reasons he didn't join the lawsuit is because he had already given advice to the governor of Idaho that Idaho could change their election dates without having to go to the legislature. I opposed that as the party chairman. The governor's office called me and asked me, if they, they told me that they were going to change the election dates, and I told them that they couldn't because it would be unconstitutional. Only the legislature can do that. He was already compromised on that because he believes a governor can change election dates. I don't believe they can, and that's why he didn't join, and I think it was a mistake. Thank you. Mr. Watson, the question to you, would you explain why you did not join that suit? Uh, and of course, the Supreme Court ended up uh, on your side. Thank you. First of all, there's a misquote of the United States Constitution. What it actually says, all of the words, is that the state is responsible for electing its electors, selecting its electors in a manner provided by the legislature. Correct. The legislature did provide a manner, that is, election laws, and they also provided the laws for governors to declare emergencies, and they created a judiciary. That is the manner prescribed by the legislature. 
So we'll set that aside and talk about why didn't I join that lawsuit. And the answer is because it violated the United States Constitution that I took an oath to uphold. That's why. Because it wasn't about the integrity of the election. That was not the issue in the case. That's what you read on the blogosphere and on the news reports. But that's not what that case was about. That case was, can one sovereign state, Texas, sue another sovereign state, Pennsylvania, for Pennsylvania's exercise of its sovereign power? And the United States Supreme Court, including all nine members, including the three that, that uh, were appointed by Donald Trump, said, no, Texas can't do that. Lawrence Wasden, you're right, because Texas can't do that. Why? Why is that important to us? It's because if Texas can sue Pennsylvania for Pennsylvania's exercise of its sovereign power, California can sue us for the exercise of our sovereign power. Federalism means that we have a national government and 50 state governments, and each state government is separate from all the other governments. That means California can't control us, Texas can't control Pennsylvania. That's what that case was about, and it's specifically what the United States Supreme Court said, is that Texas does not have standing to sue Pennsylvania. That's precisely what the court said. I didn't misread that in any way, shape, or form. Thank you. How about that, Mr. Labrador, in a, in a word, how would you feel about California suing Idaho to control Idaho's electoral decisions? If we violate the Constitution of the United States when it comes to uh, making our electoral decisions, they would have a right to sue. In fact, the, state, the United States Constitution says that states can sue states. In fact, the Supreme Court is the court of original jurisdiction for fights between the states. He needs to pull out the U.S. Constitution because that's exactly what it said. They sue states all the time. They can do it. They would be wrong if we followed the Constitution and they would lose in the courts. I just want you to understand, he says that all nine justices agreed with him. Number one, they didn't, none of the justices agreed with him. They just said that one of the, the groups didn't have standing and they dropped the suit. Three of the justices said that they would have found that there was standing. So there wasn't nine just justices that agreed with him. There were three that disagreed with him. So it's really important for you to understand that you need an attorney who understands what the law is and can read legal cases because that what he just said is absolutely not accurate. Thank you. So we have, we have a conflict here. Uh, moderator's prerogative is this. I want to pursue this. So take another minute to respond and you'll have a minute, Mr. Labrador. Thank you. There's a split uh, in the United States Supreme Court. The United States Constitution allows one state to sue another one when there is appropriate matters, but it isn't within the confines of the defendant state. That's what the court has said. And it said this, that uh, three members of the court said, well, we think you should have allowed Texas to file the lawsuit, but we would provide no relief. The other said, oh, you can't even file it. That's a legal split on the court about who gets to file and what they get to file. It isn't about whether we were right or wrong. That answer is that all nine members said, no, Texas, you don't get to sue Pennsylvania. You could file the lawsuit, but you get no relief. The end result is the same. The answer is, I was right. I'm the guy, nearly alone, who stood up and defended the sovereignty of the state of Idaho, and I defended you. Thank you. Mr. Labrador, one minute. Once again, it shows that he doesn't know how to read the case. First of all, he wasn't standing alone. He and all the Democratic AGs of the United States were standing together. He was the only Republican AG who stood with the Democrats. Second thing, when they said no relief, 
they weren't talking about the merits of the case. This is what's, what's wrong with Idaho when we keep losing cases. They were saying that the, the, the plaintiffs were asking for the relief to be done quickly and to have these additional hearings. The Supreme Court said, we were not going to give you these expedited hearings. That's what they were talking about when they said no relief. He's misreading the law and misinterpreting what the law is. The people need to understand, as the, the Supreme Court does not say what he says he said, and nine justices did not agree with him, but he did agree with all the attorney, Dem Democratic Attorney Generals of the United States, and that's why we need a new Attorney General. Thank you, gentlemen. Moving on. Uh, as you both know, reproductive rights are being challenged across the country with an anti-abortion bill uh, now modeled after the Texas law advancing in the Idaho legislature. I want to ask you both, beginning with you, Mr. Wasden, if you consider this Idaho bill constitutional as the current law stands under Roe versus Wade. And the answer is no. Will the court change its mind? The court probably is going to change something about Roe versus Wade. Do we know what it is? No. Uh, I, you, you have to work on, based upon what the law is today, how does that fit within those confines? I can't really predict what the outcome of the court's next decision will be. Thank you. Thank you. Same to you. Can, can you ask Levin? the question again? Certainly. As, as an, an Idaho bill, which is modeled after a, the, the Texas, Texas statute, is, it represents a challenge to reproductive rights of American women. Do you believe that the Idaho bill is constitutional as the law in the United States currently stands shaped by Roe versus Wade? I think it is, and I think it will be found to be, will be, found to be constitutional. And in fact, that's the example that I gave of the Solicitor General of the state of Texas. Your duty as the Attorney General of the state of Idaho and the attorneys that work in your office is to not just say what the law is, but to see where the law is going and to give proper advice to the legislature so they can draft legislation in a way that can be defended because our job is going to be to defend these, these cases in the courts. And when you give the proper legal advice like Ted Cruz gave to the state of Texas, Ted Cruz was able to help them draft the legislation on the Second Amendment that completely changed the course of American history on the Second Amendment, but it's because he understood not just the state of the law today, but where the law was going in the future. That's what a good attorney general would do for the state of Idaho, and you will find that the statute that was drafted by the state of Idaho is very consistent to the Texas statute, and that the Supreme Court is going to uphold that statute. Thank you. Any rebuttal, Mr. Watson? Yes, but the question was, what is the law today? Correct. And also, you, we do take into account where we think the law will go, but it, the determination of whether it's constitutional is what is the law today? And, and so I, I've answered the question. And in fact, in our analysis, that's what it says. Thanks. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Um, now to you, Mr. Labrador. <clears throat> What can you say about the integrity of elections in Idaho, and what do you say about the baseless attacks on our federal election in 2020 as being fraudulent and rigged to elect Joe Biden? Well, it's clear, and, and now you're getting into a policy issue, so I'm not going to talk too much about policy, but it's clear that the election was stolen, but it was stolen in what I call plain sight. And that's when the states decided to change their election laws in an improper way. And when you had these states that changed it through the Secretary of State, 
through the judges and all those things. It's clear that it happened. It's clear that it, if you read what happened in this election, there were a lot of bad things that happened. But the state of Idaho needs to concern itself with our election integrity. I'll give you one example of what happened just this week. I have a friend who went to register to vote. He's from the state of Maryland. The statute in the state of Idaho says that you can just present any ID when you register to vote and you don't have to prove that you live in the state of Idaho. He presented his Maryland driver's license and they registered him to vote. And he actually asked, that's all that you need from me? And they said, yes, that's all that you need from him. They didn't ask him for proof that he was a resident of Idaho. They didn't ask him for proof of anything that connected him to Idaho. Think about this. We're surrounded by states that allow people without documentation to receive driver's licenses, that allow people to move to the other states. You can move to the state of Idaho today and present a driver's license from the state of Maryland and get registered to vote. That needs to be strengthened in the state of Idaho. An attorney general needs to make sure that they strengthen that. You shouldn't be able to just do that. And I think our election laws are a little bit soft. I think we have great elections, but we need to strengthen the election laws in the state. Thank you. Question to you, Mr. Wazen. First, what can you say about the integrity of elections in Idaho? And secondly, what do you say about the baseless attacks on our federal elections in 2020 as being fraudulent and rigged to elect Joe Biden. Thank you. What I can say about the elections in the state of Idaho during 2020 is that our state did a pretty darn good job. Uh, uh, there's been an allegation by uh, the MyPillow guy, Mike Lindell, that every county uh, election in this state was uh, manipulated by electronic means. It just so happens that there are seven counties in our state that their election tally is not in any way connected to the internet. It's impossible for those counties to have been manipulated by electronic means. So is it true that every county in Idaho was manipulated by electronic means? No, that is not a truthful statement. So how did we do in Idaho? We did pretty well. Uh, an audit by the uh, state, Secretary of State showed about a one-tenth of one percent error rate. Um, so we did a pretty good job. What happened in other states? I don't know. I wasn't there. I saw some strange, th strange things on television, but I don't know. I don't all know all of the facts. Uh, I can tell you that there were some 60 lawsuits that were filed across the country. Each of those ended up, were either withdrawn or were dismissed. I think there was one that, uh, one group won, maybe one or two. But, but the answer was the allegations of fraud were not sustained in the courtroom. You can't stand at a microphone and have a national uh, press conference with sweat running down your fa face claiming that you have tons and tons of evidence and not produce that evidence in court. That's the forum where that gets done. And so what I can say is that I wasn't there, I don't know the facts, but what did happen is that when those cases were brought, they did not come to fruition. So I don't know about the national matter, I do know about the state. Uh, and uh, I stand with Lawrence Denny in saying Idaho did a pretty darn good job. Uh, and by the way, whether our laws need to be strengthened or not is a matter for the legislature to do. It's not a matter for the, for the Attorney General to do. Thank you very much. And a minute of response. I, I just want to be clear, and I don't think he accused me of this, but uh, you know, I also haven't said that, that people manipulated the boxes here in Idaho. I just want to be clear about that. 
But this attorney general actually should have a role in letting the legislature know this weaknesses or strengths of their electoral laws. They should tell the legislature the weakness of the strengths of the, every single law in the state of Idaho. And if there are things that could be improved in the state of Idaho, I don't think it's wrong for the attorney general to actually suggest to the legislature that maybe we need to look at some of our laws. I don't think it's the job of the attorney general to change the law. That's the job of the legislature. But if, see, if we see weaknesses in the law, I think it's malpractice to not let the legislature know that there's potential for fraud. And I'll tell you, the state of California and the state of New York right now, going back to the original question about the Texas lawsuit, the state of California and the state of Texas are allowing illegal aliens to vote in their elections. If they allow illegal aliens to vote in their, election, in their federal elections, in their presidential elections, is the state of Idaho not going to stand up against that? Under him, we won't. Under me, we will. Thank you. Gentlemen, we're going to shift gears, and I'm going to pitch a question to both of you that won't invite rebuttal uh, to the, your answers. Uh, we are here in southeastern Idaho. Let's address uh, what we might call an elephant in the room. Uh, Mr. Wasden, you have been accused of harming or undermining research at the Idaho National Laboratory uh, because of your unwillingness to grant a waiver regarding the settlement agreement. What's your two-minute response to that accusation? False. Um, here's the issue. The INL, the, the BAT agreement, is a court-ordered contract between the Department of Energy and the state of Idaho. The Department of Energy came to us and they wanted to import spent nuclear fuel for testing. The sole remedy under that contract for INL's breach is to preclude that from coming in. That's the only remedy I have. And as a consequence, I said to them, you're in breach. Give me assurances that you're going to comply with the contract. And they offered me a photo op, that's their words, a photo op with the Secretary of Energy. That was what they said. That's not acceptable. This isn't about a photo op for me. This is not about self-aggrandizement. This is your the department's compliance with that agreement. And so we were at a logger's head until we got the governor and we got a new administration in place and we were able to resolve that matter. But if you ran your business by uh, turning your head the other way or getting a photo op with the Secretary of Energy, your business would go broke. And that's the job I have to protect that the, the, the aquifer of this state, 900,000 gallons of sodium bearing high level liquid waste, which sits, which sits above the East Snake Plain aquifer. And it's not uh, if that's going to leak, it will leak at some point. I had an obligation to defend uh, that contract, that court ordered contract, and I stood, again, nearly alone on that matter. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Watson. Mr. Labrador, a similar question to you. You've been accused as a congressman of voting against the interests of the Idaho National Laboratory. How do you respond to that accusation? I, when I was in Washington, D.C., I promised to vote for every single bill that reduced spending in, uh, in the United States. We have a multi-trillion dollar uh, 
deficit and, and, and debt in the United States. It's making our country bankrupt. We're suffering from it right now. We're seeing the inflation that's happening from bad policies out of the, the Washington, D.C. and the Congress. I always voted against higher spending, and anything that reduced spending, I voted for it. Apparently, once or twice, some of it included spending that would have gone to local projects, but I was consistent in my voting. I was consistent in making sure that we reduce the debt of the United States. The problem we have in the United States is that a congressman from one district votes for their interests, and the congressman from the other district votes for their interests, and eventually the people who get left out in the cold are the people of the United States. So I have always voted for less spending, and I'm proud of that. However, let's go back to the question about the INL. The INL has we're working under an agreement that was 30 years old. That agreement actually envisioned that you could modify it. That agreement can be modified, and the Attorney General has the authority to modify it, we have new technology when it comes to nuclear. We have new ways of doing uh, all the different things that are being done at INL. We need an attorney general who understands that. You can sit down across the table with the people at INL, with the, with the Department of Energy, and actually amend the agreement. He continues to say he's just standing for the agreement. That's fine. But maybe is there a new way to interpret the agreement or a new way to amend the agreement? He has the authority to do it and he refuses to do it. As your Attorney General, I promise you that I will look and work at the law and look at what the advances are in technology, and I will work with INL and the people of Idaho Falls and the people of this area to make sure that we modernize the Thank agreement. You. Thank you. Uh, a one-minute follow-up question to both of you, beginning with you, Mr. Watson. Uh, as a future Attorney General, uh, what will you do uh, to try to ensure uh, the, the health and standing of the Idaho National Laboratory. Actually, I've already done it. We'll continue to do that. I see Fred sitting back here. Thank you, Fred, for all of your hard work on IWTU. And we actually have amended that agreement. We've had addendums to that agreement, which we have worked together on with INL. I maintain a very uh, firm and good and friendly, open, business-like relationship with INL. We have regular conversations, and we work together toward that end. But the answer is we can't just abandon uh, uh, 30 years of history with this agreement simply because we have new technology. The problem is the technology has not yet been developed. We're in the process of getting that done, and I thank you all for that great work, and I'm very, very hopeful that we'll be able to get this resolved. Thank you. And to you, Mr. Labrador, as a future Attorney General, what will you do to ensure the health and viability of the Idaho National Laboratory. I will sit down with the people at INL. I will sit down with the people in the Department of Energy. I will sit down with all the affected parties and look at how this agreement can change. It can change. There are things that we can do to comply with the promises that were made 30 years ago and modernize the things that we do at INL. I think you need somebody with a new vision who hasn't been there for 30 years and he is only thinking about what happened 30 years ago. We need to look to the future, not to the past. Thank you both. We're going to run just a few minutes late, so thank you for your patience. I want to ask one last question. Uh, as Americans look at the, at the state of our nation and the status of the rule of law in light of the, in light of the attack on the Capitol on January 6, 2021, many Americans wonder what is the state of American constitutionalism at this point. How do you feel about the health of the rule of law in America, beginning with you, Mr. Labrador? 
Well, we, we are in danger right now of losing our sovereignty in this state, and we're in danger of losing the, what the state is. And we need to make sure that you have an attorney general who understands that the rule of law needs to be followed and needs to be protected. I think in the United States, we have various groups, whether it's from the right or the left, that have chosen to not follow those laws, and you need an attorney general who will make sure that they ensure and they practice and they protect the people of Idaho and, and, and the great things that happen here in Idaho. I think the future is bright, but we need people who understand what the left is trying to do. I find it fascinating, uh, not surprising, but fascinating that you would talk about January 6th, but you don't talk about all the things that happened with Antifa, all the things that happened with all these groups that actually perpetrated crimes on federal property that killed people and did a bunch of different things. There's a problem in America where people don't trust the government. That's why we need an attorney general that the people can trust, an attorney general that understands the rule of law and that understands that we need to protect the individual rights of citizens of Idaho. That's what I pledge to you that I will do as your attorney general. Thank you. Mr. Watson, the question to you, please. Uh, thank you. Could you repeat the question? Just Certainly. Uh, many Americans are concerned about the status and health of the rule of law in America in the wake of the insurrection against the United States Capitol on January 6, 2021. Uh, what's your view about the state of the health of American constitutionalism at this point? I think we are at tremendous risk. I started off by talking about the rule of law, and the rule of law means we're bound by the law. And I have described to you the laws that apply to the Attorney General and why I comply with those laws specifically. And I don't go outside those boundaries because the rule of law demands that of me. And the very first place we start with the rule of law is with you as the individual. You comply with the law or you don't. I must comply with the law, which means I don't get to make it up. I don't get to add words. I don't get to take words away. Our, and that means that each of us across the nation and across the state have to comply with the rule of law. But to stand here and say that the rule of law means I can do other things is inappropriate. I have to follow what the law actually says. And if I don't do that, then I'm not really an, an, an adherent to the rule of law. And it's incumbent upon me to do that, and it starts with me. And it starts with me in this state. Because when the Attorney General abandons the rule of law, we become unhinged from our own Constitution. And that means that I must limit myself to those things that the statute says. And I don't get to read it in a way that lets me do whatever I want to do. Thank you. And a minute of response to you, Mr. Lebeder. Well, I just find it fascinating that we are debating the role of the Attorney General and he keeps claiming that his job is to interpret the law and that he doesn't stray from it. We have numerous examples where he has strayed from what the statutes say, what the Constitution says. And I shared with you about four or five of those examples today. Every time he interprets the law, he does it in a way that gives more power to the bureaucracy and to the government and less power to the people of Idaho, who are the people that should be protected by the Attorney General's office. I've never said that we should stray from the law. In fact, the reason I'm running against him is because I believe he has strayed from the law many times and has not followed the Constitution and the statutes. I have never said that what I want to do is interpret the law in the way that 
that is better for me. No, I want to do it in the way that is better for the people of Idaho, because the people of Idaho deserve a strong attorney general who understands, like I started, that the government should be Thank protecting you. the rights of the individuals. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the end of our time together. We're now going to move to closing remarks. We began with Mr. Wasden. We now begin the closing with Mr. Labrador. Three minutes to you. Well, thank you very much for being here. You've been a very attentive audience. You haven't liked everything I said. I've seen a lot of faces grimacing, but that's okay. I love uh, politics, and I love actually debating issues, and I love talking to people who, even when they disagree with me. I think uh, the political process is fantastic. I love having opportunities to have debates like this because this is when people get the opportunity to hear from both candidates. I'm gonna finish with two examples of why I think we need a new attorney general. And one of them I hope you understand. The people of Idaho are living under a constitutional crisis right now. You have a fight between the governor and the lieutenant governor that is in the press all the time. That fight between them, I'm not gonna make an opinion about whether I have liked what the governor has said, done and I have liked, or I have liked what the lieutenant governor has done. But the state constitution is really clear. The state constitution says that when the governor leaves the state of Idaho, the lieutenant governor becomes the acting governor of the state. It's been interpreted that way in the state of Idaho for 100 years. This attorney general's office decided to interpret that, that constitution to say that the governor does not have to call the lieutenant governor when he leaves the state. That is contrary to 100 years of precedent and interpretation. Why did he do that? Because hey, apparently he doesn't like what the lieutenant governor is doing. You know what, I have liked this sometimes, I haven't liked this sometimes, but the reality is that the Constitution is clear. If you really call balls and strikes, you would have told the governor that every time he leaves the state of Idaho, he has to call the lieutenant governor. You guys may remember this, but we had a, re a Democrat governor and a Republican lieutenant governor for many years. And when the Democrat left the state, the lieutenant governor would do things that the, gov that the governor didn't like. And they were able to work things out because when the governor came back to the state, the governor just rescinded whatever the lieutenant governor does. If he really says that he's just interpreting the law and the statutes, that's not what he did in that case. What he did in that case is he interpreted in a way that benefited the governor against the governor. That was an incorrect interpretation, and the reality is that the people of Idaho deserve better. We have families in Idaho that are fighting the federal government. He refuses to join those fights when other attorneys generals are, are actually joining in those fights. Every time we fight, a family gets to fight against the EPA, fight for their water rights. Other attorneys generals in their states are joining the families in those fights. This attorney general refuses to join the families of Idaho when their rights are being violated by the federal government. I will not do that. I will stand by the people of Idaho, I will stand by you, and I will make sure that the people of Idaho have an attorney general that understands that his job, his number one job, is to protect the rights and liberties of the people of Idaho. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Labrador, and three minutes to you, Mr. Watson, for closing remarks. Thank you. Let's talk about the Lieutenant Governor, what the Constitution actually says, what the words say, because that's where it starts. There's nowhere in the Idaho Constitution that it requires the governor to call the lieutenant governor if he leaves the state. That does not exist. 
Now, what it does say is that when the governor is absent from the state, the lieutenant governor, governor becomes the governor. It does not require the governor to call lieutenant governor. That, that's just a falsehood. Now, uh, there are two interpretations of that language. There are some states who say that's actual absence from the state. There are other states who say it's practical absence from the state. Idaho has never actually interpreted that language. Our court has never said to us what that means. So as a real attorney, what you do is you advise your clients and say, here's what one set of states do and here's what another set of states do. I don't make that determination. Ultimately, the court makes that determination. I don't tell my client which of those two choices to make. My client makes those two choices. I would suggest to you that my advice to my client is that subject to attorney-client privilege and there were no other persons present when that, when that happened. Let's talk about the case up north for just a second. And the answer is <clears throat> that I have done a lot on that case, but this actually began when my opponent was in Congress and it's Congress that controls uh, EPA. It is not the Attorney General of the state of Idaho. And my opponent did nothing, did nothing in Congress to, to, to solve this problem. So what have we done? I've done a lot. I filed the action against the Obama-era uh, administration rules uh, the day they came out. We have fought that to a standstill in North Dakota. We filed against the state of California's attack on the Trump administration rules. We fought that to a standstill. In fact, the family up north joined us in that case. We did not join in the petition for certiorari, but now that the case is in front of the Supreme Court, we will likely file either our own brief or join another one. Why didn't we join? It's because I have a client that I represent under the law, and I'm doing precisely that. We started off talking about the rule of law. The rule of law means that every one of us, including me as the Attorney General, are bound by the law. That means I don't get to make things up. I have to read when it says, you, Attorney General, your duty is to represent the state. That's what I do. That's what I do every time. And in fact, uh, Abraham Lincoln said, put your feet in the right place and stand firm. That's exactly what I've done, and that's what I will continue to do. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Wazen. Mr. Labrador, Mr. Wazen, thank you both very much for joining us today to participate in this grandest of American traditions. Ladies and gentlemen, let's offer our two participants a wonderful round of applause. The next candidate forum by the City Club of Idaho Falls features Brandon Durst and Debbie Critchfield, two Republican candidates running to oppose Superintendent of Public Instruction Sherry Ybarra, who declined an invitation. There is no charge for this event happening April 6th at 6.30 at the Tingy Auditorium in Idaho Falls. Find additional details at ifcityclub.com.